Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast. I know so many of you listening to this show love your local bar, your local restaurant, maybe your local hotel, and have so many fond memories of time in hospitality businesses. This is the podcast where we get to chat to the human beings behind the scenes of that industry. Maybe the chefs or the bakers or the coffee roasters or the gin distillers or the craft brewers or the entrepreneurs, but all doing an amazing job of making sure that hospitality stays interesting and the big dull formulaic brands do not take over our high street please enjoy the show In this week's conversation, I get to chat to Hugo and Arthur from Chalkstream. Now, fish farming has interested me for quite some time. Does it answer one of our key challenges as we become more aware of overfishing in the oceans and seas full of plastic? Or is it just another example of losing biodiversity as we choose the species as humans we wish to develop? I was super excited to get a tour of the farm and dive deeper into the subject than I've ever had the chance before. When Hugo and Arthur launched Chalkstream back in 2015, people tended to dismiss farm trout as small, bony and muddy, salmon's much poorer cousin. That's why in the early days they had to get right in front of chefs and show them what farm trout could really become, if it was grown in fast-flowing, clear waters that mimic the conditions of the fish's natural habitat, the test and itching chalk stream rivers in Hampshire. As you'll hear, their so-called PowerPoint presentation of a framed photograph and a large glistening trout on ice worked wonders. Now Chalkstream clients include big names such as P&O Ferries, British Airways and Wimbledon, as well as top restaurants all over the UK. And the trout farmers Hugo and Arthur work with face a much more secure future. Discover how in the space of a few years this partnership has managed to shake up trout farming in an impressively sustainable way. Enjoy the conversation. Okay, Hugo, Arthur, thank you so much for uh, sparing the time to have a chat today all about Chalkstream and the wonderful world of trout. Much appreciated. Great to have you. Okay, so we're going uh, to come very much into what you guys are doing now. And thank you. I've just had an amazing tour around your, uh, your beautiful farm. Um, but we're going to go back in time a little bit before we get to the current day. So Arthur, I'm going to start with you. You've got uh, quite a long history in fishing, I think. Can you just explain where does your interest in fish come from? Um, well, I, I absolutely love fishing. Uh, I've always done it my whole whole life, um, and uh, and now I'm back back into selling fish. So rather than catching it, I'm, we're we're selling it. And that was Cornwall based, was it? Was it? Yeah. That's where you were brought up as a child. Yeah, down in Cornwall. So I did a did a lot of fishing with a, with none of my family fish. Um, so skipped a generation. Um, okay. Skipped a generation. My grandfather was very keen, but I, n- I never knew him sadly. And uh, and I've sort of been taken on the wing of a couple of people who, who got me into fishing, um, and I did barge at uni. And so just very keen on the natural natural world, fishing, and um, the sustainability of fish stocks. Excellent. And then you combined two worlds because after the fishing, you ended up in London, and it was Fuller's, was it before this? Yeah, that's right. So I was working for Fuller's for three years, and uh, which is great fun, you know, up and up and up in London. Um, and then there was a chance trade show where I bumped into Hugo. Okay. And and with Fuller's, was that involved in? in did it help from a restaurant kind of kitchen perspective? I suppose. What, what was your role there? Uh, quite sort of. It was. Uh, I was. Uh, um, 
it was called a national account manager. So it was looking after uh, Fuller's brands within managed pub, pub groups, um, and then it was into tented and leased. Okay, so uh, F and B related. Exactly. Least. Yeah. And then uh, Hugo, you've got a huge career in all sorts of stuff. <laughs> uh, what What were you doing before Farm Fish? But bearing in mind we've only got an hour. So. Yeah. No. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that my main business prior to. Um, getting involved in the chalk stream is uh, I originally was in the bottled water industry and then um, I spent a long time uh, building a coffee business in London um, and then nationwide called Darlington's um, which was you know an interesting experience watching the whole explosion of the coffee market uh, on the back of the sort of Starbucks revolution so that was a yeah that was an interesting journey what year did you start the coffee business was this was pre uh, the big boom 1995 yeah so okay. pre the arrival of Starbucks into the UK so it was you know it was in the days when everyone thought coffee grew in Italy and um, that was the only coffee available so we came quite a long way yeah excellent well you, you, I know you did phenomenally well with a number of those businesses but what was the trigger what got you interested in fish well I when I was when I sold the coffee business I was looking for a new challenge I'm proud of being from Hampshire and I really wanted to do something local. I could see the emergence of local food uh, into people, way, people's ways of thinking. And um, I couldn't, I, by complete chance, I met a friend of a friend in a car park who told me of another friend who, uh, owned, um, who owned a fish farm. He's actually now one of our directors and um, has this beautiful uh, farm in Itchenabas. And he said, why don't you come and have a look at what we're doing there? And I came and I saw this amazing place. Um, and the industry at that time was on its knees uh, because of the, the growth of the salmon industry over time. And uh, they were in a pretty bad place. And I thought this is just sort of fits what I want to do. I love the idea of Hampshire fish. I love trout. And then, you know, I had this crazy idea, bumped into Arthur and off we went, really. Amazing. Okay, well, we'll come into the details of how you transformed that. But Arthur, uh, you're the fish man. I think you just gave me this incredible talk. Can you just explain a little bit about uh, how the fish are farmed and, and the more traditional approach? Because it used to be very much around portion size fish. And just explain a little bit about how that's changed. That's right. So we're very lucky with our farms that they're on the chalk streams. So we benefit from this you know, fantastic quality quality water. So that's really the the, the bedrock of, of, of the farming um, you know, farming process. So, you know, lots of people think trout are small, bony and muddy. And much of the trout industry was based around a portion fish. When I say a portion fish, I mean 500 grams. So half a, half a kilo. Um, and that was the standard for trout. And uh, it was very popular in the 70s um, and then late 80s. And then, as Hugo said, um, salmon, farm salmon really uh, started to kick off, uh, producing a much larger fish. And the, the, the sort of portion trout fell behind because the versatility of it was, was much harder. You know, the, the versatility of it wasn't as great as, as a, a large salmon fillet, which you could smoke really well or portion into, you know, uh, sort of 120 gram pieces and cure. And really what we're doing now is we've, we've moved away from the portion trout to these much larger trout, three kilos. Um, and that can now rival uh, you know, your farm salmon, your lock trout, um, and provide a you know, fantastic alternative, fantastic freshwater alternative. Um, and so that's what we're really doing differently here and actually probably taking a lead on in terms of uh, large freshwater trout. Mm. 
Okay, so that that history um, of the fish, you know, these kind of five hundred grams, and then Hugo, this is for you. That that had a kind of impact on how chefs perceived English trout. I think, didn't it? When you started this, what what was the perception from a chef's perspective? Well, it, it was still the sort of slightly dated perception that a trout was, as Arthur said, it was a was a sort of small fish lying on a plate, covered in almonds, winking at you. And uh, no one had ever thought beyond that that actually, you know, a trout they come, you know, a trout could be a much bigger fish and, and much more versatile for chefs, uh, and had this, you know, and no one actually knew this uh, this artisan story we had in the background at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, chalk stream trout—they're they're completely different. You know, what, why is that? And and and, and how are they? Hugo's throwing his head towards Arthur. Any fish related? <laughs> <laughs> any fish related questions? I've just seen them. They're beautiful. Why is that? Um, there's a lot of care and attention that goes into the into the trout, but uh, you know, as I said, the we're very lucky with the chalk stream, um, chalk stream water. Um, they're very rare habitats, so not all farms have access to to this this sort of environment. There's only 210 chalk streams in the world. 98% of those are found in England, um, so they're very rare and, and unique. But you know, aside from that, we've got this wonderful. Um, uh, chalk stream water coming into the farms. It's very high flow. There's about two tons per second entering our farms on average, um, and that means these trout are swimming the whole time. It, they're like, it, it's as if they're on a treadmill. It's like us being on a treadmill for two years of our life um, uh, before we before we were harvested. Uh, hopefully, we're not. Um, but you know, they're incredibly fit. Um, they're fed to appetite, so they we, they don't get excessive feed. Um, so they don't get fat and flabby, um, and that clean environment is reflected in their really clean taste. Um, so with the care and husbandry that goes into these fish, along with that great environment, um, means that you have this product at the end that is super high quality, very lean, very muscular, it's got great muscle quality. And uh, yeah, that's, you know, we're not doing anything radically different but what we're doing is just really taking huge care over how we produce the fish right. and and these uh, farms are generally on the old uh, water mills why is that relevant and how closely does that mimic their sort of fresh that's right uh, so the, the the mill streams um, obviously provide a gravitational difference between the height of the river um, and the mill so it builds up this great head of water and that is what is responsible for um, this really high flow, two tons per second flowing, flowing into the farm. And the other beauty of it is we don't need to pump any water. It's just constantly flowing through. So, you know, we don't need any electricity or anything like that to, to keep the water going. Okay. And then these uh, chalk stream rivers are particularly rare. And, and then that's key from a cleanliness of the water. What impacts that having? Um, we're not really, I mean, yes, they're very rare, um, but the, the, the most important thing about it is all that water is filtered through chalk downland. Um, so all over, say, Hampshire and, and Wiltshire and Dorset, you've got this massive band of chalk. And that acts like what, what I call a Brita filter. Um, so rainwater falls onto the chalk downland, filters into these underground aquifers. And those underground aquifers then feed the chalk streams via springs. Um, and so you have this wonderful nutrient-rich water that's um, slightly alkaline, and that is really provides a fantastic environment for um, lots of invertebrates and, 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 and then the fish and other mammal life on the, on the rivers itself. 
Okay. And, and that rain or, or water has come, is it six months it spends sort of finding its way from, from rain to here? Where does it go? Yeah, so it can take a long time for it to actually filter it down into, the, um, into these aquifers. Uh, up to, yeah, it can take up to six months. Um, and so for us, we love uh, wet winters uh, right. because there's no, there's no um, plant growth um, really during the winter. So all the rainwater that falls actually makes it all the way down to the aquifers. So that's really key for us. As long as we have a wet winter, uh, the sun is usually okay. Okay, and that because that keeps the flow keeps the, the flow going all the way. Yeah, have you had any, ever had any? I'm thinking last year was a particularly hot and early spring. Did that cause problems, or was yeah. the winter been wet anyway? <laughs> no, no. Last year was last year was tough, um, just for the growing conditions really, because it was very cold, um, meaning they're very slow in a peak growing period, and it went very very hot. Um, but luckily, we'd had that wet winter, and so we'd had the we had the flow of water despite being incredibly hot summer. Okay, because you can basically provide these fish all year round. It's not uh, it's not like traditional farming that there's a season and, a, and an off season. Yes, so we, we we make it so as in the growing seasons are obviously set because that's the climate and the temperature. But um, you know Pete, uh, who's the farm manager, will skillfully uh, sort of manage the population of fish that we'll have a we'll have a, a, a very level supply throughout the throughout the year, and then we try and cater for peaks and troughs here and there. Okay, excellent. Hugo then, a branding one. So um, chalk stream, where does that come from? Was that your idea? Because it's a, it's a really simple name that says so much about the food. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, the funny thing is, you know, we, in other businesses, I've, I've sort of spent hours and you spent money talking to other agencies and people trying to come up with brand names. And I, I came up with the name within 30 seconds of walking out of the farm that first time that, that I met Nick. As I got into the car, I just I'm going to have a business. I'm going to call it Chalkstream, and it's it's funny. We we get so, so much, so many recommend. You know, so many people always saying to us, "Fantastic brand name." You know, it's very powerful. It says exactly what the product is, um, and I think it's just a stroke of luck, really. And um, yeah, it's been. Um, it's, it's worked well. You've not set up a branding agency in one of your many uh, no. <laughs> things that you've got. Uh, no, I think that's the back to the fact I'm not very good at these things. <laughs> so, um, no, no, it's just, it has been, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, 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 it's been strong and, and, and it's interesting now because people, you know, people ask for it by name yeah. uh, in both a retail and, and, and a wholesale environment. Okay. Did, it's come up in a, in a number of podcasts. I always ask for some business advice. And Jonathan Downey, a couple of weeks ago, said he was an, an ex-lawyer, to be fair. But his advice was always trademark your name, always trademark your name. There's a lot of these kind of uh, street food, pop-up retailers come up with really good concepts in London, end up wanting to grow into restaurants, and that's the bit you've forgotten. Did you register it? And would, would, yeah. would you agree with yes. that advice? Have you found that historically? Well, you know, actually, I mean, I, again, I, fortunately, I have a good friend who, who, who does this. He's a trademark lawyer. Um, Jeremy and he, he's been fantastic to us from day one. He he identified very quickly that it was a name that we had to, we we should um, we should register. Um, so we, we we protected ourselves on that, and, and I think it was a, it was a it was a good move and something we did very swiftly. Yeah. And do you see this becoming as a, a sort of a market provenance similar to you've got Cornish mackerel and other kind of well-known areas for supplying fish? Does it does it feel yeah. like it's becoming known? It, it, it does now. I mean, something you see on on well-known restaurant restaurant menus where you know everything else is is a generic until you get to us and it's a chalkstream trout. Um, so I think you know I think it's certainly it's certainly going that way. 
Um, if we don't like seeing it called anything except Chalkstream, do we? So, no, no, always Chalkstream. Yeah, yeah, so we, we try, we try, and where possible, we try and direct chefs and wholesalers towards using the, the brand name wherever they can because I think it adds adds strength to, to the offer. Yeah, okay. So one of the reasons it, it adds strength is because of the, the quality of the trail. So Arthur, how long does it take then to, to bring a trail in from, uh, I don't know, where do you get them initially? And can you just talk us through that journey and how long before it ends up on a on a restaurant plate? So all of our all of our traps are bought um, from from UK um, UK hatcheries. Uh, so there'll be the, the farms will get supply from various hatcheries all over the UK. Uh, but the most important thing is that they are all British fry. Um, and uh, from when they come onto the farm, as as we call them, a fingling, which is about ten grams. So if you look at your index finger, that's probably a fairly good indication of uh, the size of when they. Um, enter the farm uh, and it takes two years to get them up to their yeah, two, two, yeah, two, two and a half years to get them up to their um, average size of three kilos. Um, so, so, you know, it's a fair, fair amount of time um, that we have to sort of be thinking about what the market's going to be doing. Or yeah, because presumably with the portion trout, what was the leading time for those historically? Uh, it was about, I think, probably around about 10, 10 11 months mm. to get up to five, 500 gram. Uh, fish. Okay. So part of the challenge initially, and this this might be for you, Hugo. Presumably, you needed to convince the uh, the fish farmers to to grow their fish for longer. Is it because you wanted specifically to develop this sort of bigger, more restaurant friendly fish? Did they think you were bonkers if they'd had an eleven months no, well, originally? Or? Actually, I mean, I have another shout out goes uh, to Pete, who's the main manager, um, and he saw the opportunity at the same time that I did, and it's always fought my corner. As is Arthur, and the opportunity was there. But like any, was it you know we were it was almost like we were creating a new fish. Um, so it was a, you know there's a degree of hesitancy across the board. But I think as you know as more and more chefs have come down to visit us, and the story's grown and the brand has grown, it's been much easier for us all to agree that the way forward is, is these bigger fish throughout the throughout you know, throughout the industry. And am I right in saying there was some sort of, uh, serendipity in the fact that there was a big supermarket order that around about the same time that was cancelled? Yeah. I think it's becoming a bit of an urban myth. Is it? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> there was, yeah, there was a cancelled order somewhere, and there were a few. There was a very small population of these large fish, um, and you know, I took I took those. I took a few of them. I asked someone to fill them for me and I took them up to my old coffee customers in London. And actually, you know, I was amazed with the reaction. Um, so yeah, there were some to start with, but I, I think it's fair to say we've improved all areas of that. Yeah, so, so when it comes then, you've, you've, you've developed this uh, amazing fish, but you've actually got to get to the, to the point where you can convince people to buy it. How did that start? And Arthur, I suppose, question for you. Was it, was it a case of literally rocking up at the uh, restaurants? Did you go back to Fuller's? Or? Uh, you did, did go back to Fuller's. It's um, <laughs> a work in progress. No, 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 that's, going, no that's, actually, that's going very well. Well, yeah. that's take, taken a while. But, you know, for, for big chains like that, you, you, you need to have the supply, you need to have the, the right people supplying it, because we can, we can manage that by ourselves um, at the beginning. But it was, uh, well, it was hard work. We, you know, Hugh and I, we just, we just went around knocking on chefs' doors, uh, Pretty shameless, really. But yeah. we, we the, I mean, the key is we had we we've got our PowerPoint presentation, and our PowerPoint presentation is a probably an A3 picture of a farm in a picture frame, 
Um, so it never runs out of battery. You've smashed it at least twice. <laughs> it's had a couple of falls. But it's, it, it, is just, it, is, it is just a picture frame with an overhead view of the farm. So we used to have that, and we used to take a sample of one of these fish because people were, you know, they weren't believers. Um, and people just, they had that thing of trout was small. You know, it was 500 grams, and that was that. Was that. that was trout. Um, and so we used to go along to, to chefs and we'd take, take one of these large trout with us. Um, it would be in one of these poly boxes. We'd, we'd, we'd be like, you know, lift off, it lid, lift off the lid. And there was this fish that would be, you know, like all of our fish, harvested water. So it'd be absolutely prime condition, in rigor. And we'd talk them through the farming process on our, on our PowerPoint. And, and then we'd just say, just try it. Um, give it a go. And, you know, nine times out of ten, people come back and say, that is fantastic. You know, we've never really, we've never seen trout, A, that large, freshwater trout that large, or um, that have had such a wonderful, clean taste um, and, and lean. You know, and for a farm fish, it's incredibly lean. It's that natural, almost like a wild fish. Yeah. Um, and were you choosing specific restaurants? Was this based just, you know, some local restaurants or did you go out to the kind of celebrity chef market? How did you choose who to uh, knock on the door of? Or literally, you, have, you always had a, a trout in the back of your car and just pulled into a car park? We had a pretty, pretty good minigun, yeah. gun <laughs> approach to, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll try everyone, anyone yeah. and everyone. Um, you know, I mean, the key thing, it doesn't matter whether they're, you know, whether it's your pigs lying with Cheating Glen or your pub down the road, if they had a reputation for wanting to use seasonal food and really get behind British produce, we just went, but that's where we need to go and sell our trout to. We need to go to the people who actually really care about what they're putting on their menus, where it's coming from, how it's being farmed. Um, and that was really, that was really important. And you, and you got the best feedback from them as well because they were willing to try new things. And we had to have people who were willing to, willing to try, try that. I had a, a chat with uh, James Cabrito Goats. Have you heard of Cabrito Goats? It was a similar thing where they were trying to start, almost start a market basically, because we all eat a lot of goat's cheese and goat's meat. That's uh, why goat's milk, but very rarely do we eat goat's meat. So it means that most of the male billy goats that are born are kind of euthanized at birth. So he, he was kind of like, what a huge waste this is. And actually goats are really good quality meat, but same thing, he was literally kind of rocking up at restaurants with a goat slung over his shoulder, so that would have been even worse than <laughs> potentially carrying a fish. Did, yeah. your, um, did, it, did your kind of history, because you, you got involved yeah. in the direct sales as well, I suppose, was, yeah. do you remember any kind of you know, particular uh, astonishment from people when they saw these fish? And do you think your um, history in, in the food and drink sector also played a part in that? Uh, I think it, it certainly helps. I mean, I, you know, people, it was, it was slightly odd having tried to sell them a coffee machine to go back and try and sell them a fish. Um, <laughs> Wasn't, wasn't quite what they were expecting, but you know, I knew I need some. There's some, you know, such great people in the industry, and and people are willing to give it to at least listen to us is what you need in business, you know. And so many doors get slammed in your face when you're when you're starting out. And so, you know, I think you know, we, with the contacts we had, we were lucky that that you know some people gave us gave us enough opportunity to uh, to show them what we did, and um, you know, and it's it's amazing to see the menus we're on now. So yeah, well, yeah. you've got some incredible chefs, you know. Uh, raving about your products. Do you remember any of the early ones that were particularly influential and giving you? Some I, I think I probably our, our moment, the, sort of our, one of the, the sort of key moments in that. You know, there's always turning points in business, and I think it was um, it's the work we did with, with the Ottolenghi restaurants and and um, the article he wrote on us in his Guardian uh, in his Guardian piece in a, a couple of years ago, and um, 
and he just you know he told he just told the industry he said look at these guys you know look at their fish look at what they're doing it's a good story and and you know as we know the story is the key to all these industries and uh, um and that was i think that was one of the pivotal points in in, in our development certainly and how had he found you? Would you, uh, you, you presumably hadn't just knocked on the door. Yeah, the I think we did. We knocked on the door. Yeah. I, I think Arthur, on one of his 4am trips to London to do deliveries, just, you know, we used to bang on the door at the same time <laughs> and leave a sample and, uh, and the phone rang. So, you know, it's, yeah, yeah I think, you know, it's the, just... Their food director was a very nice guy at the time. Yeah. Michel. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely and, uh, right. And he, uh, you know, he was great. He was very, very passionate about his... Uh, his uh, Passionate, awful word. Um, he he loved. Word, he he Bad loved. Word. He he loved his um, sort of local food and his provenance, um, and, and and obviously high quality. And so he was instrumental in getting it across the the whole groups. Um, I remember when we started, the order was absolutely well for us. It was massive. Um, it was 60, 64 fillets to each each site, um, and I initially thought it was only four. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and because our trout is so fresh, they, you can't actually pinbone them. So we, uh, I then said, can you repeat the order? And he said, yeah, 64 for each side. At wow. which point we, we had to go and see P quite quickly. Yeah, with the nets. Oh, it's a lot more fish for that. <laughs> it's good. It's great. And, and got your ball. We'll, we'll come to uh, scaling that up in a minute, actually, because uh, as you developed, P&O was another one, I think, that came along. Did it, how did that come about and did that make a big difference? Yeah, that was, um, again, they've been, they were fantastic to me when I had my, my coffee business. Um, and so, you know, I was able to speak to some, some great people in that industry. Um, I was in their dry goods supplier, uh, Cavendish. And, um, they, yeah, they, and they, they love the story. It, ma- it makes sense, you know, if you're, if you're going on a cruise, you know, we're, we're so close to the, where, the, where the ship set sail. Uh, and it, so on the first night of a cruise, they always love to, they, they've always championed us uh, as one of their artisan suppliers. And they love telling the story about, you know, the fish are almost just, you know, river comes out here. Um, and it's a good story, funnily enough. And it just, it just seems to suit their brand. Uh, and it, and it's, it's sold really well for almost since we started. I mean, they were our first key customers and still fantastically loyal to us now. How long ago was that? That was four years ago. Yeah, okay. right, good, right good from guess. the start. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. What was that five years <laughs> A clue from Arthur. Which yeah. this is probably more of a question for Pete than even you there, Arthur, because things like that come along with what we've already discussed. You've got a two-year leading time for your product. When you start to, to scale significantly, was this a big change from what the, the, the farmers had seen before? And how do you go about trying to manage that supply process? Um, well, you know, it was, I, I remember that day. It was, it was, we went to go and see John. It was, it was a day after my, my birthday. And... Um, we came out of it. That was, that was the day we stopped dealing in kilos and actually started dealing in, in tons um, wow. because that's, that's sort of what they did. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty monumental moment, actually. And the, with the farms, we're always in touch with the farms going, we think this is on the horizon. We think this might be happening. Um, you know, people will be looking at these stocks going, well, this is what we've got. I mean, this is what we've got at the moment. It's a finite resource. So, yeah, so in terms of what we had and what we were doing it was a bit of a oh my god well do we have enough fish for it um anyway we we luckily made it happen so it was it was good but you know in terms of volume the farms have always done quite a lot of volume um so um it wasn't anything different for them it's more how do we get the supply how do we get the volume up to there in order to in order to achieve it yeah 
So often with such things, there's certain compromises end up being made because all of a sudden you go, right, we just need more fish. Are there things that could be done? I'm thinking kind of whether that's feed related or, or, or things that could be done that you, you did do or that you didn't do because actually it would have an impact on the quality rather than the quantity. No, so we've always stayed firm. We've always stayed firm on, 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 on quality. That's, that's really been one of the underlying things of, of, the, of the chalk stream venture with the farms is that the quality is, is paramount. And... Uh, we've never sacrificed on that, um, and we've had a few sticky moments where we haven't had the volume. Um, and we could have, you know, Pete's always said, yeah, we could have part, you know, used a higher oil and protein feed, um, and we could have put the weight on more, but actually that would have taken us away from what we were really good at doing, which was producing these really high quality trout. And um, it was, impo it was impo important to protect that um, and stay true to that, ethos um so we we had to, we've you know along the line i mean p and has been different because we've they've been one of our first customers so we've always said we'd have the have the volume for them um, but we've had times with our wholesalers where we just had to go guys this is this is all we've got until until the next band of fish coming up particularly when we were growing and not really sure of the uptake of um the fish through the wholesalers um we would have to go you know a finger in the air we don't know how much we'll need. We don't know how popular it's going to be. Yeah, and then suddenly we're told we're, you know, we're suddenly doing Ascot or Wimbledon or one of these events. So, you know, suddenly there's a huge demand, which we've always just, you know, we've had to manage. You know, and it's getting easy to do that now. Yeah. So. You seem very calm and relaxed, man. I'm just imagining all of a sudden, it, may, you know, it must be tricky with a live product, I suppose. Has there been certain uh, customers who go that you've had to turn down? And then what kind of leading time can you give them and say, look, we're going to have fish again? Presumably you're not saying we're going to turn you down for 10 days. We're turning you down for six months. No, I mean, what, we, we're, we're, what we've had to do, and you know, I, and I stress that this, you know, this is historic now, but uh, we, you know, we've had to... Um, you know, we've had to look at our allocation of, of our of our stocks and, and and work with our with our wholesalers you know the biggest most loyal first and all the way through and they've been fantastic with us to be fair and uh, in a way that's reality when you're dealing with you know a creature you know it's it's not a wheel nut or a light bulb it's you know these are real you know we have to you know, we have to be conscious of, of, of what we're doing and how much availability we have. Yeah. And when you say that's historic, have you now got a lot more uh, supply capacity than you have? Yeah, we, we, what we, sort of you know, we, are, we have, a, yes, I mean, we're moving right across across the board to, to, to these um, to these bigger fish and therefore there is more capacity, you know. And again, it's, it's just everyone tying to the story, but, you know, there will be, uh, there will be a ceiling at some point. But, uh, and moment, how are you doing it? Are you adding more farms or are you just... We just we're just adding bigger bits of the farms and taking more more availability from them. Yeah, I mean we've we've just got better at doing it. You know, you know I was selling beer before this. Yeah, you know, I love fish. Hugo's doing coffee. I mean, you know, we just didn't know. You know, lots of it was it was it was trial and error yeah. um, for a lot of it, and and with the farming process as well. You know, people said to Pete, "You won't be able to grow trout up to three kilos um, for the table." commercially because it'll just be it'll be too difficult and so Pete's really you know took the challenge got that done um, which aspect of it's too difficult actually getting the fish yeah, to no, grow yeah because it's, it's just a it was a huge break away from the traditional farming of um, of trout in, in, in fresh water you know there was that portion trade that's what everybody knew um, and so it's suddenly quite a big shake up so, so the concern was whether there would be a demand for it or actually whether it could actually be produced in the first yeah, place yeah I think A there was a little bit of demand you know whether whether people would buy it um, and actually the, the, the challenges of growing it 
on a farm that is set up for portion fish. Right. And also the seasonality of it, you know, it's funny people don't you know we when is it you know, is it a Christmas product is it something you have is it, is it summer spring um, and we've had to sort of work around the seasonality which changes every year when I started selling coffee you know it used to be the drink that you know our busiest months were always the cold months and our worst months were July and August when I sold the business the busiest months were July and August because of the whole emergence of cafe culture so it's funny how things change and we, we try and work we try and work around that here but again as it's as it's a sort of new industry it's sort of still a lot of trial trial and error but we're getting there yeah so one of the other key things that's changed then i guess is the uh, is the chef's perception so uh, it was it was perceived as a as a sort of poorer quality to, to the other pink fish and the salmon um that seems to have changed hugely what's their current perception on i'm looking well, yeah the other thing we're, the other thing we, we we have which is to our advantage is that not only the quality obviously but, but because we're not driven by the world salmon price we're able to hold and fix our prices over a long period of time which means that chefs can work with us and they can plan six months to a year ahead so they can plan their christmas menus without you know without the spikes and troughs of of of, of other fish um so you know i think that's that's really helped the, alongside the quality yeah that's hugely unusual we were chatting about this when we walked around the farm but that ability to control price has there been an impact of supply and demand have you been able to put the prices up as you've got less of it with what we were talking about historically or now that you've got that consistent supply it literally is you know you can how, how far ahead can you put can you control your prices for so we even when we were tight tight on fish we, we you know we said we said to our customers this is the price um and so we didn't you know we didn't go back on that we felt it actually important not to go back on that after dealing a bit of a low blow going guys haven't got too much fish and, and the price is going up so we, we didn't think that would go down very well um but you know anyway that was the price stays the same and you, until until there's sort of unforeseen you know, there might be unforeseeable things that come along in the future uh, feed price um all sorts of things we just don't know, but uh, but as far as we can, we'll always keep that price stable um, as possible. We'll set it for a minimum of six months. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's usually useful from a restaurant trade to be able to control prices. And, and one of the other things, apart from supply and price, is obviously increasing environmental awareness and, and around uh, sustainability. Um, and and I guess the the farmed fish uh, industry went through a bit of an interesting time six or seven years ago. Well, first of all, it was kind of portrayed as the utopia and it was going to be like, this is how we're going to, to source our food uh, in the future. And then there were stories coming around around the waste from the fish and the impact on, of, of the feces on, on the seabeds where they were growing. And then there was the type of fish that we were uh, actually catching to feed the fish. So there was figures going around at one point of five kilos of one fish to grow one kilo of farmed salmon. Um, who Arthur, I'm guessing, probably to start with, can you just explain a little bit about how you manage the environmental impact? Because you're quite, you're tested a lot as well. Aren't you? Yeah, we are. So, I mean, down to the nature of the chalk streams being very, um, you know, a very unique and special habitat, you know, triple SI, um, the water quality is monitored the whole time. So the environment agency come and they test randomly every three weeks um, the inflow and the outflow uh, from the farm. Um, and it, the water going back into the river has to be in the same class A bracket as when it came in. So class A is, is the rating given to the rivers. So that's the highest uh, rating you can get. So it's got to be in that class A bracket um, when it leaves. But the nature of the farm 
is it's a, it's almost like a closed system in terms of we're never going to have any escapees. Um, we've got screens going across everywhere that stops that happening. Being fresh water, there's no sea lice. And then when the water's finished going through the farms, you then put it through the settling channels. Um, and they're much wider, much deeper, and that slows the flow. And so obviously where you've got a farm, where you've got animals, there's obviously always waste. And those settling channels um, filter out that waste via gravity and it stops that going back into the, in, into the river. And then we can dredge those settling um, canals and that silt can be taken out elsewhere, um, used as fertilizer if needed be. Okay, so the water coming in at one end is literally crystal clear, chalk filter, going out the other side is the same, and then the, the waste in between can be can be dredged. That's right, sold yeah. for fertilizer. Yeah. Okay, and then the feed, you mentioned, I think, on the website that you've reduced the amount of marine content by 60% in the last 10 years. What does marine content mean? So, What's the impact of that? Yeah, so um, with if you imagine, well, if you imagine your hand as a, as a pellet, and 70% uh, of your hand is made up of um, vegetable oils and proteins, and 30% is made up of marine oils and proteins. It's that section of marine oils and proteins that we're looking to reduce the whole time, and it's the vegetable oils and proteins that are helping to do that. So, um, you know, there's gonna be a huge amount of uh, new technology coming onto the market or innovation with algae, producing omega-3, which, which we'll hopefully we'll see coming into the feed as well. So that will then mean less marine content going in. Um, and then hopefully more uh, tech, you know, more advanced to be made in the vegetable oil and protein arena, which means we can actually get a feed that should, or you know, hopefully can come away from being having any reliance on any marine um, input at all which would be absolutely fantastic. But from our point of view on the farms with the trout, the, you know, they're incredibly efficient converters of protein. And uh, for every kilo of marine feed that we have in our uh, diet, uh, in, 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 the, in the fish's diet, we're getting just, just over, equal to a kilo of edible trout um, being, being produced, you know, and, and the perception of agriculture is that, you know, it, it takes a huge amount of feed, um, from the oceans, um, to, to produce one, one farm fish. And the reality is, is that, that, that process is becoming ever more efficient, um, uh, which is, which is absolutely fantastic. So from a, from a global, from a global perspective, if you're looking at populations, agriculture, you're, you were mentioning the utopia of, you know, this is going to save the world done well uh, you know and responsibly and sustainably agriculture you can't beat it for producing protein it's so much more efficient than you know beef um, pork or lamb um, so you know it's a fantastic it's a fantastic resource okay and is that changing across the industry i had an interview with helen browning chief exec of the soil association all around organic farming and how we can feed 10 billion people on planet earth uh, without fundamentally destroying the planet and she found it sort of contradictory I suppose she's a, a you know kind of meat farmer fundamentally but actually having to advise people you know what we do need to eat a little bit less meat and we need to eat you know better uh, but less do you see it outside of your specifics around chalk stream is it, is it improving uh, across the industry in general with farm yeah, fish? Well, yeah well 100% and that's because it's it, it's got to you know it, it's it's is as you say it's going to have to change um, and equally you can't, you can't have five kilos of fish going in and only producing one kilo out because the, the mass doesn't, 
it doesn't stack up anymore. And so you, you know, you're always looking to be as efficient as possible. And that's right across the whole industry. And by having less impact, you know, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. So it is happening. And the primary shift then has been this move to more vegetable-based feed. And how do we know? Who's, somebody's presumably testing the impact of that as to whether the fish convert it. Do you, do you know how that Yeah, so, so scratching our feed guys, and there's going well, well above my, my Yeah, I was going to say, get, get, getting um, a little bit geeky. But. Well, well, well above it, but yeah. they've just done a microbalance diet on it, um, oh. which gives them all the nutrients they need. I was going to say I'll do a podcast with the feeders, but I think we'd have a very limited audience, wouldn't it? Yeah. People, people might tune off. Um, Hugo, that, that sustainability story, was that key from the start or did it start with I want to make an amazing fish and sustainability became relevant later? Yeah, I think you know, I, hadn't, you know, I hadn't appreciated how, how the, the, the level of, of sustainability. I knew, I, you know, and as I, as I touched on, I, I, I knew we had a good story, which I think is absolutely essential and, and the sustainability part of it is... I hadn't seen quite how crucial it was, or how what a major part of the story it is. Um, but we're, you know, we're, we're we're proud to have these credentials. Because mm, you then got um, Sustainable Restaurant Association accreditation. Yeah. I think did you work with them before? Or? Yeah, they, I mean, they've they've been down here. They've hosted a lunch on the banks uh, with their customers, and um, you know, it, it was again, it was a sort of yeah, nod in our direction. You know, what we're doing is is, is good. Okay. So looking back over the last, uh, was it five five years now? Pretty yeah, much I think it is. It must be five years. Yeah. yeah. Which which bits are you most proud of? I I'm proud of last week actually. Yeah. Yeah. We had we had our biggest week last week in terms of uh, volumes of uh, of Chalkstein Jack into the markets. We, we were going, you know, they were, they were going, they were going out to go on British Airways. They were going to Wimbledon. Um, they were going to many top restaurants all over the country and. Um, yeah, and 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 there's a fantastic, good, good feeling throughout the business on the farms, um, here in the office with with all the guys we have here. It's it's it seems to be a great time for us, in these interesting, changing times. Yeah, um, a good British story. I mean, it's just it's. Um, I think we're very. I feel very fortunate to be working here. Yeah, we're talking of. Uh, I suppose you know, alluding to Brexit, we did well to get all this way through. Yeah. <laughs> do you export at all at the moment? Is that how, how we, we, we do? A t- we do a tiny bit. We are lo- we we are looking at various opportunities at the moment in oh. different parts of the world. But at the moment, we we, we send a little bit out to um, the Far East, to Singapore, um, and we are we're talking to all sorts of people at the moment. Okay. And do you think we'll get to a point where the uh, the bigger fish appear in the supermarkets? So the supermarkets are still dominated, presumably, by the traditional. Uh, portion size, are they? I, th- I think to an extent they are. I, I, I think they'll probably move across uh, as we sort of power on with what we're doing um, with the with the fish. Um, don't really know actually on them. We're, we're not, you know, we're not. We're we're, um, we're very happy with, with, with the customers we have and yeah. with the way we're moving. No plans to supply them. No, 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 not, not, not at the moment. Okay. And have you diversified at all into uh, making products? Do you do you smoke the fish? yourselves or is it all just yeah we um well Arthur is more king of the smoking side but uh, yeah well we've got a so we, we do the hot and the cold cold smokes and yeah you know it's as a split of the business about 80 percent fresh to 20 percent 20 percent smokes and we've paired up with a great smokery called seven and y based in gloucester um, and so they, they, do, they do all our, our smoking, but they've got you know fantastic facility over there. Um, and yeah, so you know, we know we're getting very good quality, and so that's what we're doing with the smoke. It's um, it's it's good, and okay. it's, it's going going well. We're now in retail, which is nice, and 
slowly kicking on there. Yeah, we've got, we've re, we rebranded our packaging, so we're now in um, we're in Fortnum's, um, we're in Selfridges, um, and the old pro we sell. We sell absolutely hundreds of pots of our our chalky pat every week. It's really you know it's a surprisingly okay. surprisingly good product. So which the commercial market or direct to retail. That's direct to small retailers, farm shops. Through, farm shops. A few, we're starting with a few um, specific wholesalers to that industry as well. So. Okay. Excellent. Um, and then Arthur, which bit of this gives you uh, the most pleasure? Because you came from a, uh, Cornwall and loving fishing and you, I remember you saying that you didn't really want to kind of you know combine your hobby and work because it would ruin it for you but now here you are surrounded by fish in the beautiful English countryside although living in London so yeah what, what bit of the job gives you the most pleasure? Well that you know that really is just dealing with fish I absolutely I love fish um, and I remember one of the first farm tours that I had took, took down the farm and at, at that stage we had two of those two of those circular tanks that you saw had had our fish in for the foreseeable when we were doing very small amounts. And I remember they, the guys at the time, I can't remember who it was, but they just said, what is your, you know, where are you going to go with this? And I said, well, hopefully we'll see this, this whole farm will be converted over to large trout. Um, because, you know, Hugh and I at the beginning, we could see that chefs really wanted this. And it was the first time the trout had really been recognised as, you know, something on a menu. And so was, we saw it there, and and now that whole farm that you went round, it's uh, it's uh, in August. That's the end of the that's the end of the portion trout, and it's all large trout. Um, and you know that that really sums up a huge amount of effort by everybody to to get it out there. That's yeah. brilliant. And it's huge. You said you've gone. Was it from one point eight million to one hundred eighty thousand fish on the farm? Was that? Did I yeah. remember those numbers correctly? Yeah, that's right. So when they were doing portion, obviously there was a lot. Lot more trout on the farm, um, and now you know the welfare's better, stocking densities are so much, but everything, the whole operation down there has become so much better uh, because the actual time and effort you can put into looking after the fish is is, is so much better. So you know it, it takes a huge number of boxes from sustainability, welfare, um, getting a great British product out there. It's it's really. You know, that's I think that was what everybody at Chalkstream is to be proud of yeah. of doing. Excellent. Well, congratulations, uh, Hugo. You've been on this journey a few times before building companies. Um, anything you would have done differently in the last sort of four or five years with what you learned? Or has this been very different to set up a coffee business, or are they? Is it a similar journey? I find I you know I always think is this the one that is going to be quick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't believe how the years fly by. You know, when it's five years since we did this, and four years. You know, like all of them, it's just. It's an unbelievable amount of hard work at the beginning and knocking on doors. Um, it, it, there's just no getting away from that in business, I've decided. There is no secret magic way of, get, of, of, of getting these businesses, you know, to, to get into some sort of successful position. But, um, yeah, we, I feel, again, again it's, um, it's been tough. I, I, you know, we are just, we're, we're lucky with what we've got. And then that, you know, here in, in this natural resource. Yeah, business is, is pretty relentless, I think, isn't it? You must get asked a lot for uh, advice, just general business advice. Is, is there either any really bad advice that you hear being given out where you think that's come from an academic kind of background or the flip side, any particularly good nuggets? Well, I, I tell everyone here, I, there's two rules to my life. I, I have a special app on my phone. My phone only accepts good news. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got any bad news, sort it out yourself because I'm too old for that. 
Uh, and the answer is always yes. That's the other thing I say. We're always yes. And we're, you know, we're, we're obsessed with the way we treat our customers. And whether it's a small online inquiry or a large wholesale order, you know, everyone gets the same service, okay. I hope. Yeah. I'm sorry, well, who gets the bad news, Arthur? Do you, do you, the, yeah. you I specialise. I've got the bad news out. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the bad news out. Yeah, yeah that's good. Excellent. Um, any advice from your perspective, I suppose? It, it's becoming increasingly, uh, I don't really use the word cool, but I, I like to think that we're coming from a resurgence around good quality food. We went through this kind of uh, intensive industrialization of food and we, we lost contact a lot with where our food was coming from. It all started to come in bright colored pieces of plastic and cardboard boxes. And there seems to be a genuine desire at the moment to get back to some, some good quality, sort of knowing where our foods come from. Uh, any advice you would give uh, as to people who want to kind of uh, you know, go and create some sort of artisanal food business, apart from don't do it. Because uh, <laughs> bump into somebody like you at a trade fair. Yeah, no, not really. I just think if you if you like doing something and you think it's a good idea, go for it. Give it a shot. Okay. And um, what's next? Any any great plans for the future of Chalkstream or continuing your current trajectory? I think you know. Well, we you know well we're growing capacity and. and um, you know, and, and spreading the word. I think we'll just we'll keep going as we are, Excellent. and um, and working with some yeah you know, some great some great people. Yeah. Okay, good. So if people want to buy your product at the moment, a little bit of uh, retail, but through through uh, various sort of smaller shops, but predominantly wholesale. If people want to find out more, where do they go? Is it social media, website? Where's the best place? So you come on to uh, you know Instagram at Chalkstream, um, our website www.chalkstreamfoods.co.uk so we've got the online shop so wherever you are in the UK um, we can get trout to you the next day smoke trout to you the next day um, and if you're in the Highlands and Islands it's two days sorry about that and uh, yeah but it's predominantly at the moment it's, it's, it's very big in the restaurants so if you're in the restaurants you see chalkstream trout you know exactly where it's coming from um, and you know we're really hoping to build our our retail, uh, so it's more accessible, and also putting the f fresh through fishmongers. So if you go to a fishmonger, ask your fishmonger, and if he doesn't have it, tell him to get a hold of us. Perfect. Same in the restaurants, I think, isn't it? All too often, we don't know. People don't ask where their fish comes from, particularly farm mm. fish. A lot, a lot of you know bass was coming in from Greece and and, and lots of uh, foreign imports that just don't have the same sort of standards and quality. Uh, so I always say, yeah, please ask your restaurants where the fish comes from. Absolutely uh, right, key, yeah. think, isn't it? But not no longer where does it come from? It just is it short stream, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, <laughs> but that sums it up. You know, that sums up exactly where it's come from because people, you know, lots of these restaurateurs have, have been to come and see the farms. Yeah, and they know exactly where it's come from, which is which is quite novel in the fish business because it's Absolutely. not. You know, it's got a real place. Unlike cows, that you can rely to stay in the one place. Fish move around quite a lot, <laughs> so it's quite hard to say exactly where they're from. Yeah. But, uh, right, we'll get it on the menu uh, as well then at our restaurants. But thank you both of you for sparing the time and telling no the story. Mark. I think it's, uh, it's a great product, it's a great story. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Mark. So there you have it. You have reached the end of another episode of the Humans of Hospitality podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please go and visit our website, humansofhospitality.co.uk, for the show notes and extra episodes and information. And whilst you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and to receive free materials all about the humans behind our incredible industry. Lastly, if you could subscribe, rate and review this podcast, you will be massively helping me out and it would be hugely appreciated. Thank you so much. We'll be launching another podcast in just seven days time. Cheers. Cheers.